Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name's Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and on this episode I'm talking to Helen Tupper. Helen is the former head of marketing at Microsoft and also co-founder of Amazing If. So before we get into the episode, this podcast is brought to you by the now legendary Altitude Retreat. It's a seven-day gathering for entrepreneurs and leaders and people who are bored with traditional business conferences. This is an event that I went on myself last year. I had an amazing time. It's the brainchild of the Happy Startup School. You might remember Lawrence and Carlos from Happy Startup School have been on this podcast before. It's in its fifth year and brings together 25 people from around the world. I had people on the one I did uh, from the US, people from around Europe, people from the UK. And it's a really unique mix of learning, rest, play, exercise, stunning surroundings. It's a week-long reboot and you'll get help on some of your biggest challenges within your work, within your life, within your business, and you'll meet new friends that were strangers just a few days before. It takes place 8th to the 15th of June. It's in the heart of the French Alps. So you basically just fly to Geneva, to Geneva Airport. They will pick you up from there. It's about an hour from Geneva and um, just a stunning location. And you can find out more at Altitude, the website, which is www a-L-P-T-I-T-U dot D-E. See what they did there? Cool, huh? Um, applications close at the end of March and apparently there's only a few places left. So go and get a place for Altitude. I highly recommend it. One of the best things I've ever done uh, was to go on Altitude and I will definitely be back. Won't be there this year, but definitely will be be there on a future year. So um, go and check out Altitude. A um, couple of events that I'm doing just to let you know about as well. So with Colette Hennigan, the co-author of Work Fuel, who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, we're going to be doing um, an event in Manchester, Friday the 12th of April. So if you're anywhere near Manchester, come and say hi. Um, it's going to be an evening thing. It's going to be at the People's History Museum and you'll get details of that on Eventbrite and also linked in the show notes at getbeyondbusy.com right here. So that's Manchester, Friday the 12th of April and also an evening thing on Wednesday the 24th of April in London. So if you're in London, southeast kind of area, um, we're going to be at WeWork, centre of London um, and it's going to be an evening thing on the 24th of April. It's really annoying that that is Easter week. It's, for many reasons, the only date that me and Colette could actually find in our diaries that would work. So it's going to be Wednesday the 24th in London. Uh, and details, again, at getbeyondbusy.com. And if you go on Eventbrite and look up Workfuel, you'll find us on there. So I'd love to see you at one of those. And let's talk about this week's episode. So... Helen Tupper is the co-founder of Amazing If. She's a former head of marketing at Microsoft. She's got some really brilliant insights into different aspects of careers. She's written a book in the past on confidence. We talk about that. We talk about flexible working and why it shouldn't necessarily be a feminist thing, but it's actually a, a kind of equality thing and just loads of really good insights here. So, um, Let's get straight into the podcast. We recorded um, my appearance on Helen's podcast of the same name, Amazing If. And uh, we recorded it in a really plush studio with her uh, fancy producer and stuff. And then it was like, Graham, what do you need to record yours? And I'm like, well, I've got my Zoom recorder and we'll, we'll just go and blag a room somewhere. Uh, so you join us in the Hoxton Hotel where we have just blagged a room. Here's my conversation with Helen Tupper. <laughs> I am here with Helen Tupper. We have just, well, Helen has just blagged us a little room in the Hoxton Hotel. In Politely London. asked. <laughs> that was really good. And I was really struck by you walked really breezily up to the counter and you said, I have a challenge for you, which is always a really lovely phrase. Like, I think I'm definitely nicking that. I'm going to use that because uh, she looks at you like, oh, there's a challenge. Cool. <laughs> challenge <the soul. laughs> and we're now in a really uh, nice little uh, meeting room until we get kicked out if someone Yeah, let's see, how, uh, let's see how well my challenge yeah, We've got it for free. So that was really nice. Um, so how are you doing today? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah, yeah I feel like Monday, fresh for the week ahead. Uh, I've got a week, I've got a very squiggly week in that um, I've got a bit of time like meeting lots of different people today, podcast recording, then meetings and then some delivery of amazing if courses 
uh, in Leeds and Manchester this week. So my job is taking me to a few different places. Nice. And you are at the moment, um, your main thing, I guess, is that you're CEO and co-founder of Amazing If. Yeah, it was relatively new. I've, I've, like, I've been co-founder since it was founded, um, but I have only been full-time on the business since October last year. Um, and so Sarah, my business partner, and I said, look, you should be CEO because you're now kind of doing all this stuff. I'm not sure what it means other than um, the fact that it's now a full-time job, to be honest, and <laughs> someone should probably be um, at the helm of it. Uh, but yeah, so I spend my weeks um, a mixture of um, creating content for Amazing If, so trying to get all of the things that we talk about and in, in making work better for everyone out there, whether it's writing podcasts or blog posts or the daily careers tip. And then I spend the rest of my week delivering training so trying to reach people and teach them the skills to succeed in a squiggly career is what we say nice and so let's talk about squiggly careers and so first of all what how do you define a squiggly Mm -hmm. squiggly career what is it um, so what is it? Uh, I guess it, the starting point was a conversation Sarah and I had about five years ago where we, Sarah and I had gone to university together and we happened to be working in the same city in the same time for the first point in about 10 years. So we had kind of these careers cool. in parallel nice. but just hadn't worked in the same place. And so we were sat having a coffee, much like this, uh, chatting about our careers since university. And um, we had thought that our careers would be much more like a staircase. So I think Sarah, we kind of drew this visual thinkers, so we were like drawing it and saying our career, career we thought would be quite linear, quite predictable we had career plans that mapped out like every two years what job we would be doing and we said yeah that doesn't really feel like what our careers have looked like at all to this point yeah Uh, and instead of a staircase we just drew a squiggle and for for me that meant I'd worked in about five different companies I'd worked globally and I worked in the UK but at that point in that conversation I had worked in FMCG financial services uh, like a retail energy for Eon. I've worked in oil and gas for BP. Then I've worked for Virgin, which is like a bit a bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, and so we've had this lots lots more movement than we'd expected. Um, and we said, oh, you know, this feels a lot more squiggly. And I guess since that point, we've tried to codify like what is a squiggly career because we noticed that a lot of other people resonated with the idea that their career didn't feel predictable and linear and actually it felt more squiggly. Um, And as we've looked into what makes up a squiggly career, I think there are a couple of things that stand out. The first is that um, there's a lot more fluidity in the workplace. So people are staying in roles and in companies for a shorter period of time. So there's a lot more movement. And I that applies to me and the people that I'm working with. So yeah. just as I'm moving yeah. around more, I'm now meeting more and more people at work because they've all got this kind of movement going on as well. And um, There's also a number of different needs now going on in the workplace. So you've got five different generations in the workplace uh, more than we've ever had before. And each of those people yeah. from like Gen Z up to the traditionalists, kind of the full spectrum, each of those people, whilst you don't really want to stereotype a generation, they do come with different needs based on the generation that they're in and also the stage of their career that they're at. Yeah. Um, and you've got all of that going on in the workplace at the same time. Then you throw in technology. So we're no longer tied to our desks and tied to coming in the office. So suddenly I've got to build relationships in a different way. I've got to learn how to work in a different way because of technology, I'm getting more information than ever before in more places than ever before. And you get this melting pot of technology, loads of change, loads of different needs and careers in that context can feel quite overwhelming. Um, Because actually, if you're faced with all this noise, different people, different movement, different challenges, all this information, um, actually, you can feel quite lost in that because you might be quite confused. There's no clear path for how you navigate through that because we're all doing very different careers now. We're not following the same predictive path. Um, And this kind of squiggly career can feel a bit overwhelming. However, if you develop a certain set of skills, which we think of as your values, your strengths, networking, confidence, and being able to think career possibilities rather than career plans. If you have the skills to support that, squiggly careers are full of loads of opportunity because we don't have to follow somebody else's staircase anymore. We can create our own path. um, And so that's very much what we try to help people to do. And I love that thing about career possibilities rather than career plans. Mm. And I think sometimes when I've taken moves in my career that would not necessarily be the obvious next step. It's about just being outwardly focused, isn't it? And kind of having that scanning the horizons and seeing what is out there and going, oh, that's an interesting thing. That could be an opportunity. Yeah. And like, it, you know, uh, there's that sort of phrase, you make your own luck, but actually you, you kind of do if you're just 
you know, if you're scanning the horizons regularly, then lucky breaks happen because you see them, right? Yeah. And we, we talk about exploring your career possibilities. And actually, you, um, a lot of people are blinkered to the obvious opportunity, you know, the one mm. that, just the one that they can see or the one that someone else is talking to them about or the one that someone else expects them to do because of what you studied and what your path is looking like. And people get a bit blinkered into that. Um, and so we try to force people to think about what are the other possibilities? What maybe feels ambitious? And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean more senior. That means there's some kind of but involved. Mm. Oh, I'd, I'd love to go and do my own company, but I don't have enough money. Or I'd love to go and work in uh, in you know in sales, but I've never done that before because I've always worked in finance, whatever. So get people to think about what would that possibility? What's the dream possibility? The thing that you don't really entertain because you put a whole load of, I don't know, financial or location-based hurdles in the way of it. And then also maybe what's a pivot? So what, how could you take the things that you're good at and maybe apply in a different context? Like how do you take all of that and find yourself different possibilities and just go and explore them? Like it's not about mm. hunting for a job. It's about having genuine conversations curious conversations with people who can help you understand what those things might look like and it might not be your next job it might never be your job but it might be something that could bubble away and become something else in the future and when you look at the length of careers like I find the idea of a career where I'm exploring possibilities and having curious conversations far more interesting than one where I'm following some very predictable linear path for like 47 years that doesn't doesn't really fill me with joy do you feel like there's a sense that whatever your career path is, whether it feels like a nice kind of mm-hmm. neat linear neat linear staircase mm. or whether it feels quite squiggly? Mm. Do you feel like when you it's kind of easier to look back retrospectively and make a narrative than it is at the time? So is part of the squiggly thing just this thing that it, it never feels like a really simple linear plan in the moment? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I think um, I, I think there's almost like a point of realisation. So, for example, I didn't start my career thinking squiggly. I sort of started in a bit of a staircase world and realised it probably wasn't quite right for me. Right, and I okay. haven't created a narrative yeah. from that. So did I plan all the moves that I made? No. Can I look back and say, well, I... I, you know, identified my strengths there and that's why I went from sales into this role. I can make a narrative from it. Mm. But I definitely am... Um, sort of proactively squiggly now yeah so now right, I've, got okay. this ins- I've almost got this point of realization that where I sort of had this sort of broken staircase thinking and now I'm very much in the mode of I am intentionally squiggly I'm intentionally exploring different things so right now I'm both CEO of Amazing If but I'm also exploring being a lecturer I'm also exploring can I be a non-exec on a board um, because they're part of my possibilities right, so okay. nice. I think I, I think I had a turning point and maybe that's what we hope we can great for other people so that they feel like it's okay to think about other things that they might want to do and that's that's fine and for anybody who really likes that idea of exploring possibilities mm. curiosity being more squiggly mm. and also maybe is sitting there thinking oh god but i couldn't do that or where would i start or that just feels alien mm. what would be some of the ways of um helping people to think differently or to develop that sense of squiggliness is mm-hmm. that a word squiggliness it is now Graham. yeah we'll take it um, so i would go back to those four possibilities that i mentioned so try and write down what would be what's the obvious career possibility for you so that might be the next job the one that other people are talking about what's the ambitious one so the one where there's some kind of butt involved in it, it might mm. be a skill thing for example What's the dream possibility? So something that really excites you, um, but there's some kind of barriers you're putting in the way of ever ever looking at that. Uh, and, and, you know, it can be very extreme, that one. So just kind yeah. of get, get into dream thinking there. And then the pivot. So that could be a pivot backwards. So something that you've done before that you could maybe do again slightly differently. So for example, I've worked in sales before, innovation. Maybe I could go back into those disciplines or uh, an industry or a function maybe you've worked in previously. Um, you do it differently now because you've acquired different skills. Or you could pivot forwards. So that would be taking the skills that you've got and applying them in a different context. Mm. So, for example, I am a trainer for part of what I do now. Maybe I could take all of that and be a teacher. Maybe I could go be a teacher in the future or maybe I could go be a lecturer. So you kind of write down what four possibilities are. So we're trying to break people's thinking about there's only one thing I could do next. And then write down one person that you could explore each of those with and try and find a name who could you explore your ambitious one with your dream one and make the time to explore those with those conversations and it's not a job hunting conversation it's just a curious conversation with somebody about 
can you tell me a bit more about a day in the life in that job? These are some of the things that I'm good at. Is it relevant for this job? Would you be looking for any particular skills that I might need to develop if this is something that I was interested in in the future? It's that kind of a chat. So, um, and from that, good stuff happens. I can't, you, at the very least, you're making new contact with someone. You're having a conversation you didn't have before. But actually, what it might help you to do is get even more excited about a possibility and think, actually, this is something that I would, I would like to progress with. And sometimes you go, no, I thought that was a really exciting thing. I've done this before. I've explored a job and gone, that is definitely not the right thing for me. <laughs> Take that off my thinking because I'm not, I'm not going to be at my best doing that job. Yeah, I was chatting to a mate last week, actually, who um, she's freelance. And then she applied for a job. She was really excited about it. She got offered it. And it was she kind of got offered it with a let's do two weeks and kind of trial both ways and kind of see how we go. By the second day, she was like, this is not for me. So it's amazing, isn't it, how your perception of something and actually what's what's real mm. can just be totally different, right? So, yeah, she's now just, okay, I've spent a couple of days knowing that that's not the thing that I want to go into next, but, like, that's, that's a, an important thing to try, right? And I think for a lot of people, you go into an interview with an assumption, with an excitement, mm. with an expectation of what something's like, and uh, you try to win in the interview, uh, and actually you don't really explore until your first day there. And that's, yeah, I, I yeah, think, yeah. some yeah. times people learn about organisations or what they're good at or what they want to do sort of by default and they mm. potentially bounce around in your career a little bit while you're on that mode of discovering and exploring your possibilities reduces some of that risk it means you're less likely to learn by false steps in your journey which is definitely something I did in my earlier career yeah um, that idea of exploring that with writing down one person in each of those different settings and mm. stuff so presumably that may necessitate some kind of like cold reach out or mm. you might be slightly out of your comfort zone asking somebody to go for a coffee with you when you know they're really busy and they don't know you that well and yeah. they're a friend of a friend or whatever what tips would you have for people for yeah. how to get time in people's diaries which is essentially you know if, if it's for your exploration of course you'll have skills that you can pass on to them and you might be a useful contact but you're really asking them for a favor aren't you in that yeah. that moment like how, how do you go about that what what, what what's worked for you then yeah i say one, one or two things the first is if you are going to do the cold reach out which i've definitely done um, and uh, we're writing our book at the moment we've had to ask 100 people lots of whom we don't know very well for their best piece of career advice so that has been a lot of reaching out to yeah. lots of people and um, my first tip for you is to a, do the ask in the first place. Don't talk yourself out of it, but make the mm -hmm. ask relevant to that person. So if I was asking Graham for something, I would say, Graham, I've listened to your Beyond Busy podcast. I particularly enjoyed this episode. And this is one of the things that I took out of it. What I'd love to get your thoughts on is this. Um, or I'd love to get your expertise in this area. So I've, I've made this more than a generic ask. I've made yeah, the person yeah. clear that I know who you are and I've spent some time absorbing your stuff. So it might be a presentation someone's done or an article that they've written or just something you've seen them do. But make the ask relevant and contextual to the person that you're asking. Um, but here's the thing, because I get quite a few of those, but also authentic, mm. right? Because there's almost like a template of that, isn't there, where people go oh, I've listened to Beyond Busy. I particularly loved this. And it's almost like insert thing here, you know? And it's like, you know that they're doing that to like 100 people. And so I think you have to do that in a way that is also authentic as well as mm. like, you know, and I think I can smell that a mile off when, mm. it, when it just feels like a sort of template that you're using every time. Uh, we've had a couple of people you know that have contacted us off the podcast and the ones that really stick out to me so the ones that get a very quick reply are the ones where sometimes we get people that just go i've listened to your podcast and i've had a couple of ideas for you and they're the best ideas someone wow. someone messaged yeah. us recently and they were like oh you mentioned that you want to use less paper in your workshops so i thought you might want to try these a3 whiteboards that people could pass around and cool. then they kind of had a little ask at the end of it but it was it was you know, they, they thought they were sharing something. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, I, I'm try the cold outreach, but make it contextual, relevant and authentic. And um, the other thing is if that doesn't feel right to you, or maybe it's not appropriate for a certain situation, try and get an intro from somebody else would be my thing. So I might say to Graham, oh, I'd really like to know this person. Like Graham, I, I have friends. Graham, would you mind introducing me? This is particularly what I'd want to know. And sometimes being connected through somebody else in um, amazing if we call them connectors, like certain people yeah. have strong networks and they are better at connecting. And you can go to those people and say, you know, would you mind introducing me to that person? Because I know you, you, you know them or you've got some kind of connection to them. I think that's a particularly good way if you're a bit more introverted um, going through somebody else that you know, you know and trust and they know and trust you 
you can be a way to reach them too. Yeah, for sure. And would you find... So how would you know who somebody else knows? So unless everyone has their own podcast, there's going to be loads yes. of people who have networks that you don't know yeah. who, who they um, know. So one of two ways. Uh, one is slightly more strategic than the other. So you can use LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so the strategic way is if I, um, someone I wanted to contact and I think I could go on LinkedIn and I could see who do I know that knows that person. Um, and let's say it was Graham, I could then approach Graham off that, off that basis. Um, so that's quite a strategic way of doing it. The other is some people are just they operate in certain worlds so if I wanted to contact someone in marketing for example I would know that Sarah is a very connected person yeah, in marketing my right. business partner and I would say do you happen to know this person could you make an introduction so um, I think you kind of one of two ways one's a bit more intuitive and a bit more uh, you know it will have a success or not the other way with LinkedIn is you can use it from a data perspective yeah for sure and I think I think the first thing you said there at the very beginning of that little bit was was about actually just don't talk yourself out of making the ask in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think I've found over the years that when you do like make that ask, you know, sometimes people will knock you back, but often you'd be really surprised the other way too, where mm-hmm. someone will really come through and say, hey, yeah, I'll give you an hour of my time. And mm-hmm. you're like, wow, really? <laughs> you know, you're almost like talking yourself out of having asked once they've said yes, because you're yeah. like, oh, really? Am I going to go and like meet them for an hour and stuff? And so I think... You know, my experience is people are quite generous with their time. And I'll, I'll have done the same many times over where people say, can I meet you for a coffee? I can't do it every time. Mm. But if someone really sort of stands out and it feels like there's a there's a useful connection point there, then, yeah, it's just one of those things that is what goes around comes around, I yes, think, as well, um, isn't it? Yeah, very much what goes around comes around. We call um, networking people helping people. Mm. And actually, if you just start with that, like start thinking about how you can give your time, your expertise, I just think good good stuff comes from it. And What's the worst that can happen? Do you know what? Someone might not reply. And, yeah. <laughs> and someone might say no. So on the 100 yeah. piece of career advice, we had a lot of people who just didn't reply. Um, and that's fine. We chased them and they still didn't reply. Uh, and then we had one person who said no. And even that was quite a nice no. And yeah. it's, there's, no, there's nothing bad that has, that has come from that. No. I've also learned recently that it's possible. This has been quite a big breakthrough for me. It's possible to go up in someone's estimation by, being, by saying no really well because it feels like no is always a deficit it's always a thing where like they're going to slightly hate you a bit because <laughs> because you're saying no yeah. but to actually earn someone's respect by saying no really politely and you know and you know timely and and sort of logically and all those kind of things mm-hmm. now that i've learned that it's like ah oh, okay <laughs> like sort of frees me up to to actually say no more if i need to and mm-hmm. and sort of not feel obligated on certain things and that kind of stuff I think I'm I'm not brilliant at saying no um, in all, all manner of things. I have, um, so obviously we're writing the book at the moment, I'm having to protect my time a little bit more than I would normally do naturally. Yeah. And I've found that I have said no, and I've explained it's because of the book. So I've, I've said to people, like, I really need to have half a day to really get on with the book. We've got an impending demo, I hope you understand. And I've had, I have personally felt more comfortable saying no with that context yeah, to people. Yeah. So... Yeah. I'm the same with books. It's like, and then when I don't have a book, it's like, oh, what do I use? <laughs> what do I use? <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Um, the other thing I guess that is really important with reaching out to people and that general sense of curiosity and possibility and like scanning the horizons is confidence. Mm. So let's talk about confidence. And mm. you have a book called How to Overcome Your Confidence Gremlins. Yes. Yeah, we do. Um, so tell us about that. And in particular, how do we overcome those confidence <laughs> Just, I'll, I'll the question. I love that thing that in your blurb as well, where you said, uh, if somebody says they don't struggle with self-doubt, then they're either, um, what was it? They're either lying or they're a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was somebody's quote that yeah. they gave to us. Um, so that's really good. So we, when we started the kind of, the, okay, what are the skills that you need to succeed in a squiggly career? We started with um, values, so understanding what makes you you. And then we start with strengths, knowing what you're great at. Um, and then we rapidly realised that unless you have the confidence to talk to people about what makes you you and talk to people about what you're great at, it all sort of fell apart a little mm. bit. So we really needed to get into the confidence piece. And there are three aspects that we look at when we talk and help people with confidence. The first is around resilience. And the second is around success. And the third is around support. And the resilience is really the, the biggie. It's the one we spend the most time on. And we, we call it the confidence gremlins, which for anyone that's done anything on psychology, we use a lot of the principles of limiting beliefs. And so we all have mm-hmm. confidence gremlins or limiting beliefs, use what you will. Um, 
and uh, they they sound a lot like some of the most common ones that we've come across in five years of doing this now. Um, I'm too young, um, so that might get in people's way. Or more commonly now, I'm hearing a lot more of I'm too old when we get into organisations. I think it's because, you know, I talked about the five generations in the workplace. Um, a lot of people who are more tenured in their roles are actually feeling um, a bit threatened that they haven't got a certain skill set that younger people coming into the workplace have. Um, it might be I don't know enough, super common one. I'm going to get found out. Um, some people have a confidence gremlin about certain people, more senior people, for example, confidence gremlin about difficult conversations, confidence gremlins about um, uh, conflict, numbers, presenting. So we all have these things. They're like little gremlins that go in our mind and they stop us doing certain things. So I have a confidence gremlin um, or about asking difficult questions, uh, particularly around money. So more budgets, mm. higher salaries, uh, those kind of things. Um, and it gets in my way. So it will stop me from asking asking certain questions and that holds us back so you have this pattern going on limiting belief holds you back in your career and over the long term that has a long-term impact on on your career and what we talk about is it's the first step is being aware of the confidence gremlin so a lot of people are stuck in this quite negative thought pattern where they have belief driving their action which has a long-term impact and they're not even really aware it's going on they're just sort of letting it happen um, and so step one is you've got to be aware of your confidence gremlin so we actually get people to draw it because it it becomes less like this quite scary thing that they have in their mind largely based on assumptions of what you yeah. think other people might think about you um, and, and what you might do and uh, so we get them to draw it and talk about it so awareness is a step one and the second thing is you've got to create a new set of actions so we need to create a far more positive loop so if you're scared of presenting for example let's say comments coming that you're not very good at presenting so you never ever volunteer to present and the impact might be that people don't hear your perspective they don't hear your voice in the room so we'll get people to a be aware of that and how it might be holding them back and then think about small actions that you can take to start to build up that that confidence and resilience of doing it which might be getting some feedback because maybe if you actually do a presentation and you get some feedback, the idea that you're awful or that you talk too fast or that no one's interested in what you've got to say is not validated at all by the feedback that you get. Because when a lot of, you know, for example, for mine, if I ask a difficult question, people will think I'm a difficult person. A lot of that's based on some kind of warped assumptions and thinking that I'm mm, carrying. And if yeah. I actually got some feedback, what I might do is challenge the assumptions that I've been making. Although, how do you deal with the fact that so if you think about where a lot of those uh, limiting beliefs come mm, from, mm. often they come from the lizard brain part of our brain, right? Mm. So they come from that kind of uh, fight or flight, yeah. Yeah. you know, very sort of primitive part of the brain. Yeah. So getting really good feedback logically mm. is sometimes the stuff you're not going to hear, right? Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing as when you look at your book reviews on Amazon, you see five really good ones. Yeah. And what's the one you remember? It's yeah. the one that was two stars or one star. Yeah. Um, so how do you deal with that? Um, how do you sort of battle the fact that a lot of these gremlins are more emotional mm. than logical? And how do you... Yeah, how do you deal with that sort of the emotional side of the, some of these things? Yeah, it's, it's re- it is a really, really good question. It's definitely quite a tough part of it. I think for the... Um, for a lot of people, we, we try to get people to ask for strengths-based feedback. So um, there's some research that I found uh, recently, and I can't quite remember um, the source of it, but it's talked about that you need to um, talk about positive feedback for six seconds before someone identifies with it, whereas negative feedback, uh, people identify with it straight away. It's like Velcro. Ah, and so actually getting yeah. people to say, let's, for example, say that I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I've got a conference agreement around presenting. What I would ask for when I was doing a presentation is when did you see me at my best when I was doing that presentation? So we sometimes get people to not ask for the even better if that sort of negative feedback and just get more, more of the positives so that they can work with more of the strengths. Um, Sometimes as well, you writing down your assumptions. So I assume if I ask a difficult question, people think that I'm difficult. Um, and if people think that I'm difficult, they won't want to work for me. You write down your assumptions and then you ask for feedback and you look at it side by side. Sometimes just the clarity of that can be useful. So an example here is my business partner, Sarah, um, has a confidence going around conflict, doesn't like conflict, will avoid mm. conflict situations. And she was in a particular meeting that she thought the conflict level was like nine out of 10 conflicts, super high conflict. Everyone hates each other. It was a disaster. She (laughs) asked someone she trusted when she came out of that meeting, what was your, you know, out of 10, how would you score that meeting in terms of conflict? And they said, oh, I don't know, two or three. There was a bit of debate, but it wasn't so bad. And actually just the act of getting feedback, it was so 
um, distinct from the assumptions that I had been making or she had been making, that it, it sort of shines a light on the fact that your confidence confidence it is about emotion. Yeah. It's about yeah, your yeah. emotion yeah. and not what everyone else is feeling. So I totally agree with you about the tendency to, to, to just listen to the negative, but it's just this assumptions challenging. It's a reality mm. check thing then, and looking at it objectively that can help people realise, oh, I've never really thought about this before and how my own thoughts are the thing that's holding me back and maybe yeah. that's not about my ability, it's just about my thinking. And so you and Sarah, when you work together, mm. so one of you has a, a gremlin around, uh, you know, like around asking those difficult questions yeah. and one of you has a gremlin around conflict. Yeah, so, we have multiple gremlins, but they have two of them, yeah. But those two would assume to me that you have to then work on that between the two of you to make that business relationship work, right? Mm. So, like, is that something you've spent time consciously about or does it just flow more naturally? Because you're kind of in that zone and thinking about it anyway. Does it, Do you not need to have those kind of conversations yeah. with each other yeah it's a really it's a, a an interesting reflection actually um so when we this year it's quite a big year for us in terms of the business so it's my first year of working full-time on the business sarah is managing director of an agency at the same time as working on the business yeah, so yeah. lots lots going on and we talked about um with highly reflective people and when we set up this year um so we we, we planned the year and what we want to achieve and our kind of um, objectives for the year we talked about feedback and we said that we need to be very, very transparent with each other and giving each other feedback for the benefit of the business. Um, and I think we created some sort of ground rules and we didn't write them down, but we almost had this principle operation of we both are hugely driven by making work better for everybody. If we notice something over the next 12 months of this year that we think either is of doing that is getting in the way of that, we should have feel comfortable in letting each other know um, mm. that feedback and we have got really good at giving each other micro feedback I would say so we use this um, what works well even better if so okay. ev- ev- every like every week we do a podcast and every week I will send Sarah a what worked well this week was this and even better if and sometimes it's about me and sometimes it's about her mm. I might say oh I talked for too long or your your uh, explanation was too long and equally I'll do the what worked well and um, we do it after every course that we run on each other so I think we have gotten a lot better at giving each other that feedback in a in a uh, in a micro way in a regular way and it's desensitized it a little bit yeah so yeah. With, with two people that don't like difficult conversations and have a fear of conflict if the only time we were ever giving each other that feedback was in december at the end of the year yeah. it'd be like <laughs> it's part of your annual appraisal yeah, of each other yeah, yeah, yeah it'd, it'd be like be under the spotlight and quite yeah. awkward but we've just made it part of how we have a, a value of work in progress mm. and it's just sort of part of how we work together Nice. Love that. Um, so another thing that you're very driven by is flexible working mm. and increasing the availability and, and the conversation around flexible mm-hmm, working. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got this website, The New Work. Yeah. Um, so tell us about why flexible working is important to you and what what are we lacking? What do we need to move towards with mm. that? So I'm really passionate about flexible working because I think the ability for people to define how they do their best work results in um, better work for organisations and happier employees. I think getting everybody to do the same set hours in the same set place, I don't think that's really working for anybody. And I worry for large organisations who are still attached to that principle of this one way of working and you conform to our template of working. I worry that their top talent is just going to go, well, I don't, I don't have to do that anymore because mm. I can work flexibly and remotely and I can freelance and I'm just going to go and do it. Um, and so I think me um, identifying the need to have a conversation around flexible working was partly driven by that, particularly working in large organisations. I felt it was like a se- some secret conversation going on about, oh, how have you managed to get flexible working? And maybe particularly as well, it wasn't open to all, which was something that was really a bit of an issue for me. I was yeah. noticing that... It, there was an uh, an opportunity to have a conversation if you were a parent returning from you know maternity or paternity leave. Mm. Like the door was wide open for you to have a conversation, but for everybody else that wants to work flexibly because they want to do a side project or they want to um, you know they've got something else going on with in their personal lives where they want a bit of flexibility, that didn't seem like such an open conversation. So I felt like it wasn't it wasn't democratic and that organisations would lose their top talent. So I think that was the the starting point for me thinking mm, we need to have a conversation about this um, and there were three particular areas that I really wanted to dive into to try and get into some of the barriers and accelerate flexible working and the first was about culture 
Um, so we did a whole event series on embracing embracing flexible working. Um, and the one of the things that really stuck out for me there was something that HSBC do. And it was about basically not, they call it reason agnostic. That's one of the things that I learned there. So in terms of embracing flexible working, they had a policy that when you ask for flexible working at HSBC, it should be reason agnostic. Mm. So someone shouldn't ask you, oh, is that for childcare? Or, yeah, it, why do you need it? It's reason agnostic. And so that whole point around making it democratic, flexibility, all reason agnostic, that was some of the principles that came out of the work that we did on there. And the second one was around empowering individuals. So actually what we need to do is give individuals the confidence to ask for flexible working and to position it to be as a successful ask. So it might be that you might need to um, present, um, if you're, for example, as a manager of a large team of people like I was at Microsoft, I would have to preempt some of the questions that I might get. If I wanted to work a three-day week, they're probably going to say, well, how is that going to work with your team? How are you going to manage that? What are your solutions? Um, and so I'm going to have to be confident enough to make the ask in the first place. I have to preempt some of their questions and I'm going to have to position them some, some solutions. But if I go to my manager with all that information, mm, I'm far more likely yeah. to be successful. Yeah. So we had a whole piece in, around that about helping people to do that. And the last one was about enabling agility. So actually for flexible working to thrive in organisations, um, you need technology. Like it's a big part of it. When I when I worked on um, the new work, I was at Microsoft and we had all of that technology. But you need, you know, you need people to have laptops. They can't be chained to a desk in the office. So it just, it just yeah. kind of doesn't, doesn't work. Um, and you also need to have new ways of managing work. So, for example, in a team environment, you might need things like um, Slack or Microsoft Teams or different ways of managing projects so that they, teams can be more, more agile. And so we basically brought lots of people together, lots of different speakers from different organizations that were doing um, good stuff in the space. So for enabling agility, we had um, Microsoft to come in. We had an organization called the Hoxby Collective for empowering individuals. We had people from Digital Mums talking, for example, um, and HSBC at the first event sharing more of what they were doing uh, because I didn't want this to be a hidden thing. I wanted to bring people together to learn from other organisations and take those learnings back into their organisations to accelerate the adoption of flexible working, appreciating that it's not easy. Like, it's not a simple thing. All of this variety and complexity is hard for companies to manage. And sometimes it's easier for managers or for organisations to say no rather to actually take on board some of the complexity. Because... Keeping the status quo doesn't involve more work, whereas managing any change is difficult, right? Yeah. So there's always that sort of natural barrier, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to moving anything forward. Where do you feel like big organisations stand on it now? So do you feel like there's been a real move over the last few years or do you think we're still stuck and it's there's a lot more work to do? I don't think we're stuck, but I think there's some sluggishness going on. So I think some organisations have embraced it as part and parcel of their culture yeah. and some organisations are reacting to it because they haven't really got a choice. Like, and I actually, I think the companies that are embracing it as part of their culture are the ones that will attract Talent. So Lego is doing some great stuff in this space. I think Microsoft is doing some great stuff in this space. Um, and you can actually use that as part of your employer brand. Yeah. I think there's yeah. um, a stat from TimeWise who do some really interesting um, work in this space. And they've said that nine in 10 people want to work flexibly, but only one in 10 jobs advertise flexible working as an option. Mm. Um, and I think those those one in ten are attracting those all those people, and I think yeah, organisations that can make it part of their employer brand and it's an authentic part of how they're working, I think will get the best the best talent in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's a bit like I watched a thing recently with Warren Buffett, and he was talking about why he sees himself as a feminist, and he said, well, there's lots of social reasons to see myself as a feminist, but. If you just look at it from an economic perspective, if you've been undervaluing half the resource of your country, right, then the country's, he's like, I'm really bullish on the United States of America because if we just use this amazing resource as well as we use the other half of our resources, then we're going to be fine. It's like an untapped. Yeah. And so I think it's the same kind of thing is that once you can get companies to that point of seeing it as not a deficit thing, not a compromise thing, mm. but something that's actually going to push us forward, it's actually going to make a difference, mm. then you can start to see it as that competitive advantage almost. Totally agree. Um, so you talk about Microsoft there. So mm. that was a place that you spent some time. Yes. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that sort of uh, interests me over the last few years has been the adverts, which I think are 
BlackBerry did it for a while. I think Microsoft are guilty of this too, of uh, having these adverts where flexible working and uh, work-life balance looks like a man on the top of a cliff or next to a beach, but like holding a, a mobile device yeah, and like, yeah. look at me doing my work. And it's, I always look at those things and I think, but that's really sad because you should be, really, doing the you should be on the mountain <laughs> just like living in that moment and not thinking about, you know, this stressful thing at work. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned like Microsoft are doing some really interesting stuff around that. And you worked in my, in marketing for Microsoft as yes, well. Yeah. Um, so um, in particular, I know you did a lot of work around AI mm. and machine learning mm. and all that kind of thing. Um, and I always think Microsoft's a really interesting company because uh, I think in the debate, which raged for for many years and it's sort of died down now of Steve Jobs versus you know versus Bill Gates yeah. and the kind of uh, I'm a Mac I'm a PC and all that sort of stuff I always thought Bill Gates got such a rough deal <laughs> because Steve Jobs is like the cool one but also he did like no philanthropy he was really mean to his employees there's a lot of reasons to not he was fundamentally I think Steve Jobs was not a likable human being <laughs> Whereas I feel like Bill Gates, he's a likable, affable guy and is trying to eradicate polio. And it's amazing. He's doing quite big stuff. stuff. So Microsoft sort of fascinates me because I really feel like they get a bad rap. And I think in productivity, like everyone assumes when they know that I'm the author of a book about productivity that I must have a Mac and I must have an (laughs) iPhone and I don't have that stuff. And I have had it in the past. I'm not anti it. But I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Microsoft Office 365 suite and all that sort of stuff. And uh, people kind of think that I'm a bit weird <laughs> for that. And I'm maybe the contrarian productivity expert in that sense. But um, where do you see uh, Microsoft's role in shaping the future of work and productivity? Yeah. And, and in particular, that kind of AI and machine learning kind of piece within yeah. that as well. Um- so I loved working for Microsoft. I wasn't there for that long, primarily because I realised my calling was to do with Amazing If, and I started because you're doing a squiggly career. Doing right? a squiggly That's career. Um, but I would, uh, yeah, I would definitely go back to Microsoft in, in mm. a flash in the future. Um, should I want to take that sort of squiggle further? Um, I joined as director of audience evangelism, which is always an interesting, interesting job title. Um, basically, connecting creating stories out of early adopters and early technology. So the real deep techies who were working on the uh, earliest um, points of our technology, so machine learning and cognitive Mm. services and all that kind of stuff, and actually trying to create stories from that that were more for everybody else to to look at. Like, what's the value of AI? How can I use this machine learning thing that everyone's talking about? So the kind of case studies and like emerging emerging usage and all that. that, Yeah, so that other people could adopt it. So that's my first role. And then I became um, marketing director, which was more about taking those stories and then making them kind of cross the market. And... I um, I actually think my favourite products that Microsoft have got were all around the productivity stuff. They have mm. a, an, a sort of big theme in the business called Modern Workplace. And it definitely isn't about um, like having your surface device halfway up a mountain. It was much more about how do you get teams working more efficiently and how do you use products like Microsoft Teams for collaboration. Um, and so they... What I really liked is they had this culture of, you know, work anywhere. You can work from home, you can work in the office you want to, wherever you want to do. But they had the solutions of like Microsoft Teams to make that happen. And so my team, we would regularly, um, you know, not everyone would have to be in the same place. I was very... um, I was very choosy about the meetings that I asked my team to be present for. And there were ones that were more culture building meetings where I wanted people to share stories and be together for that kind of energy. Otherwise, we'd just have meetings kind of apart. Yeah, and one yeah. of the things that I really learned from somebody else there as well was about um, we're using like Skype or Microsoft Teams for kind of conference calls. Most people have their camera off, right? This is the thing, and I now use this as like a discipline all the time. Um, but there were certain people that would have camera on as a default when you're doing your conference calls, and it dramatically mm. improved the quality of the conversation. So if you and I were having a Skype call, for example, just most people just use it for the conference call type functionality. Yeah. But actually, if you're going to try and replace face-to-face, in-a-room interaction, the very simple act of just putting your camera on, it makes me bond with you and, uh, you know, respond to you in a very different way than if I was just sort of like an anonymous person on a phone call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it was, just, it was just a little thing that I thought actually really, really helped with them, with team dynamics and, and, and keeping some of the team culture together and not being kind of really anonymous and feeling very remote. Like you could work remote, 
but you didn't have to feel remote when you were using those kind of technologies. Yeah, that's a good tip because there's always that little moment where you get a Skype call incoming and you're, duh, 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 and you're like, oh, which one do I press? <laughs> do I press just the phone yeah. or do I press the, the camera? Yeah. Like, so it's this little moment. And usually I have to say, because I'm generally quite introverted and often I'm working from home, so yeah. I've just, I'm just in a crappy old t-shirt yeah. or something. I just press the phone, right? Yeah. But if you just get into that headspace of actually it's, it's a better experience and it will be you know, a better interaction if I just press the camera. Like, I'm going to be less shy, I'm going to press it. The first couple of times, I was like that yeah. too. And then the more I did it, the more I just thought, well, it doesn't really matter if people see me. Like, I'm working from home. I know it's it's fine that I haven't yeah. kind of got my work outfit on today, but I'm still working and I wanted to... I also saw as a manager that it was my responsibility to show other people that that's what I was doing as well. That, you know, I didn't wasn't trying to put on some front at home every day. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. just trying to be yeah. me and I could still do my best work in those ways too so it just became people were like oh do you want me to put my camera on too and I was like you don't have to it's fine but I'm, <laughs> I'm putting mine on for you but generally most people then did yeah. and we had much more like human to human kind of interaction uh, than if it was just a bit more functional like nice. phone conversation um, I have to share a bugbear which is like why is Skype so crap <laughs> right um have they, are there people in Microsoft who know that it's crap and they're trying to solve it? I, I it assume like they get endless, like endless feedback about yeah. it. We were moving towards the end of my role there um, to using Microsoft Teams, like doing everything within Microsoft Teams. Right. So you could have Microsoft yeah. Teams meetings. Um, other than your inbox, which would still sit in Outlook, you could schedule meetings from Microsoft Teams. You could do your calls as a Microsoft Teams call. So we were moving more to that as a way of interacting than using Skype. But... I don't know. I didn't have so many problems. <laughs> uh, maybe send me some feedback. Graham, I just feel like the first five minutes of a Skype call is always like, oh, can you hear me? Is it all right? And, you know, and I've got like super fast broadband yeah. in my house. It's definitely not my connection, but it just always seems to be shaky. And oh, I'm, you know. I'm, I'm sorry for you. I have to use other things. So I use, um, it's not your fault, though. Well, because Sarah and I record our podcast <laughs> over... So when we record our podcast, um, we are very rarely in the same place. Yeah. So we use Skype to do the calls, and sometimes we have to do Zoom. And sometimes both of them are a bit glitchy, to be honest. So we, we, we I have experienced it, but yeah. I, yeah, I think Zoom is more reliable, though. I'm, I'm saying, finding yeah. them both sometimes in the evening. Yeah, Sarah really. and I have delays in our podcast recording sometimes, which is quite irritating. <laughs> Um, so in terms of the other places you've worked, so you've worked for um, Virgin Red, mm-hmm. for Eon, for BP, mm-hmm. like for, for a number of big companies there. Mm-hmm. Um, what, which of those, as you sort of reflect back on it, do you feel like has the sort of uh, the, the best like culture that set up a productivity? Let's talk particularly productivity Ooh, now. Yeah. Oh, that is really interesting. The best for productivity. I mean, I... I Microsoft would be the best one. I mean, we would talked about it, but that would be my mm, absolute really? best one. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, but because they blend the culture with the enabling. So when I talked about the new work, you know, when I said about I could do a couple of things going, there's an embracing um, kind of flexibility and it's also enabling agility. Microsoft have got that down. Yeah. They've got it coming from the top from Satya Nadella. So it's top down. It's a wide culture. Your manager lets you work in that way. And then they have the technology that enables it. I'd say the second one would probably be Virgin. Um so I worked at the centre of Virgin, and um, which is the bit that Richard Branson owns, if you like. And then you have all the other the Virgin branded companies like Virgin yeah. Trains, Virgin Atlantic. So I worked at the centre. Is that the bit that did unlimited holidays? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to hear about that in a minute yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, unlimited paid holidays. Mm. Um, so the and that's that's my main point actually. They have got the culture nailed. Mm. So again, from the top. So the, the unlimited holiday was Richard Branson's idea, and then we, it was kind of implemented as a result of that. But the um, the the kind of work work anywhere, do your best work, uh, work in a collaborative way. They they've really created an environment where you feel like you can be yourself and work in a way that's kind of right for you. I think. They're just a step behind, I would say, on enabling agility than Microsoft because they don't own the technology. Yeah, so I think right, Microsoft, you're yeah, always on the front yeah. foot because you're you're the person, like, I would have all the new Skype releases, for example, before everyone else. I would have all of the first things to test. Yeah, Microsoft um, would never be a place where you could moan about the IT department. Yeah, ex- right? yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we still do. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say that's probably why they're a step behind. But the, the culture there, it felt so, so genuine and it was a really exciting place to work and you felt that you could be... Um, just very honest and authentic and work in a way that worked for you, which I mm. think 
I think productivity looks different for everybody. Um, some people like pro- to be productive means working on their own all day in a room. And so for other people, it means, you know, pro- productivity might be about how they collaborate with other people and get ideas. So I think the most fundamentally important thing is that you have a culture which enables people to work in a way that works for them. Yeah. And Virgin, at the, at the head office, Virgin have that. Nice. Um, so tell me about the holiday thing. Um, <laughs> Like, did you find that you took more holiday or fewer days of holiday because it was unlimited and unbounded? So the, the interesting thing was I didn't track it. Ah. So, you know, when you've got like 26 days holiday mm. or however much everyone does, you you track it. You're like, yeah. oh, I'm entitled to 26 days. And I've got to use them before the end of March. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then you get yeah. to that whole thing of like the January to March flood where you're like, oh, if I don't take these eight days, I'm going to lose them. And then that actually creates some kind of team issues because everyone's trying to use all their holiday at the same time. That goes away. So because a holiday doesn't, your holiday allowance doesn't disappear, um, that that need to consume it by a certain date goes away. So the team issues goes away. And I think... I probably used about the same. Um, I wonder, probably because I was tuning into, oh, I think I'm entitled about this much. So I think I was probably still had the legacy of... Yeah, it must take a long time to sort of shift that into sort of full feeling of autonomy. Yeah, so I I think I probably wasn't there long enough to shift that into it. It's just natural to my way of thinking. What I did feel like, when I was at Virgin, I was doing Amazing If as well. And I felt that I could talk to my manager and say, oh, I'm going to have three days off to work on my business. And and I was always very open about Amazing If at, at Virgin and I felt that I didn't have to think oh I'm taking three days of my precious holiday time to spend with my family I just felt like I could kind of take that incrementally um I thought I think it may be more conscientious about the value that I was adding so in order for me to say to my manager I'm going to take a couple of days next week to go and work on my business I had to feel very confident that in my own mind, I had earned that value to take that additional back to holiday. It before with the preempting and like making the case, and mm. like, so I guess in that way, it's sort of helping you to draw a firmer boundary between work and productivity, and then life and everything else. Yeah, yeah. and I think I think it felt like that I had earned. You have to. I think you have to earn trust. You know, trust mm. doesn't come automatically, yeah. Yeah. and that if I wanted to take additional holiday for those reasons, then I had to have earned the credibility. And trust in my manager to do that. I mean, it was they they could say no probably to the time periods. So if I said, oh, I'm going to take five days off next week, they might go, it's not the best time, Helen, can we chat about yeah, then? Yeah. But in, in, based on that policy, they couldn't say, well, you've already had 22 days, so you can't have five. But I felt, I felt so committed to the organisation and so respectful of the policy that I wanted to earn the trust that they were placing in me. And it's one of my, one of my biggest reflections from working at Virgin Head Office was the trust that they had in the employees mm, that they create this yeah. amazing fun environment bags of diversity and uh and lots of trust going on whether it was your ideas like they would trust an idea so if i had an idea for a new business you could get quite far with that because they would trust that you, you yeah. know, will give you give you some kind of rope to go and explore that with um and also with the policies like the flexible working ones and um the unlimited holiday we were talking about trust the other week and um the idea of Jason Freed at Basecamp yeah. saying that his idea of him as a manager is to basically get out of the way and people to have eight hours of uninterrupted time every day. And yeah. that's his job as yeah. a manager, right? And I feel like trust is just the most fundamental fuel for group productivity. So if you're going to have a, a culture that works well and a team that works well, mm. trust has to be at the centre of that. Mm. I've, um, I agree. And I've um, been looking quite a lot into the work of Amy Edmondson recently. So she does a lot of work around psychological safety in teams, mm, yeah. um, particularly from a management perspective. Um, and she has a really good survey, actually. If you go to Google's Rework site, there's a psychological safety survey and you can do it on your team. So you could do it nice. from your perspective or if you're a manager, you can maybe get your team to do it on you. And it talks about um, seven different principles of what creates a psychological safe team where there's high levels of trust and that people can be at their best in teams. They come up with more ideas. They're healthier because if if they've got more trust, they're less stressed. So happier, healthier, kind of coming up with better ideas and more productive, all off the back of you creating a psychologically safe environment where people have got high levels of trust. Cool, that sounds like a lovely resource. Yeah, it's really, out. really good. There's yeah, loads really on it, actually. Um, Amy Edmondson has got some uh, YouTube videos, which are quite short, so you can find out a bit more about it. And she talks about the value of it as well in, in the knowledge economy. So um, in the knowledge economy, if people don't feel that they've got safety and high levels of trust, they're basically not sharing as much. And that's, that's what we trade on in mm. today's world is our knowledge. And so they're not sharing, we're losing value. So some good YouTube videos and then Google's rework site, there's some tools on there. Nice. 
Um, so before we finish, let's do a couple of questions just about your own views on work-life balance mm. and productivity and mm. that kind of thing. So what's the thing that you feel like you're really struggling with or you haven't nailed? Oh, so many. Um, I think like sticking to some kind of prioritization, like I want to do everything. I'm so, I'm so excited about what I do. Mm. Like I genuinely love the work that I do and I want to do everything and I want to do it now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And um, so I think prioritizing in that context, I sometimes find hard, which means Mm. that my days are maybe a bit less focused and impactful than I would like them to be. Um, And yeah, that's probably my biggest thing. And longer than you'd like them to be? No, because I I, I don't, I I really love what I do. And so for me, I actually find it relaxing to uh, read books on career and psychology in the evening. And I find that more relaxing than I do watching TV, which just irritates me (laughs) a lot of the time. Um, So yeah, I'm fine with the length of my days. It's probably longer than other people would do, if I'm Mm, honest. I get up early, but I'm very, um, yeah, I'm very motivated by the, the, the work that I do and the impact it has. And how do you how do you switch off, particularly if in the evening you're reading careers books mm. and that kind of thing? Like, how do you get that space for the kind of balance mm. side of things? Um, I gosh, sometimes I say cheesy. I have I kind of end my days like I, I often think about things that I'm grateful for at the end of the day, and I have mm. that as like a bit of a routine for okay, I've finished my stuff, and I'll just like take me to bed calm. Sometimes this happens in bed, to be honest, and I just find it a way of calming my mind, and I'll think about what good stuff happened today? What three things am I grateful for? And I don't, I just say it to myself. Sometimes I write it down. I've got this um, six minute journal that has it in there as well. But Is that I, a paper journal? Yeah, it's a paper yeah. journal and it's called, it's called the six minute diary and it has some questions for you in the morning and some questions for you at the end of the day. Sometimes I do it in there. I'm not sort of really strict about doing that. I always do it in bed though. I find it helps me to calm my mind. I think I'm quite lucky in that I can go from a high I don't know if it's high brain intensity, but I can go from work, basically. I can work until, I don't know, half 10, writing emails or working on the website or reading a book, and I can go straight to bed. And providing I take a deep breath and then do that, I kind of just do, okay, what am I grateful for? And that's all I do. I can then go to sleep. Um, And I know that that other people might find they need, it's a bit like having coffee, isn't it? Other people would need to, like, two hours after a coffee before they go to sleep. I'm the same with work. I I can go quite quickly from being in sort of a worky mode to sleep. And you're not doing anything else like meditation or anything to, no, to enable a, that? You literally just, you're doing that gratitude journaling. Yeah, thing I just take it. a deep breath and kind of think, okay, wow. I need to go sleep now. And I'll, like, I will do that. It, and that does definitely help me. Yeah. It sort of feels like a an end. I can't really describe it as like an end to the day. And I make, think it makes me feel positive. Um, but no, I don't do, I'd love to do meditation every night, but it just doesn't, it doesn't fit into my routine at yeah, the moment. Maybe yeah. it will in the future. Um, but I just find that quite a calming way to end and then I can go to sleep. Wow. Everyone listening to this is very jealous of you right now. Like I can't work past about seven my with, hu- my without it really affecting my sleep. Like my, my it's just not say, a thing. Like, if he's got something going on at work, yeah. he will struggle sometimes to get to sleep because it'll be on his mind. And sometimes I feel a bit guilty because I can just, it will be the first thing I think about when I get up. So when I get up at, you know, and I'm an early riser, so I get up at like half five or something like that. And the first thing I'll think about will be, okay, I've got that to do today. So, but it's just for that period of sleep, yeah, it's very yeah, rare yeah. that that bothers my sleep. My children bother my sleep. I've got a hundred other things that might bother my sleep. Children, a cat jumping on me, all that kind yeah. of stuff. But work, I seem to be able to shut that off. That's cool. Um, and what do you think are your sort of productivity strengths and weaknesses? Like what, what are you struggling with and what, are you, what have you really nailed with productivity? I think I can, um, well, this is going to be, um, this is not the advice thing, but I, I can work at pace. So I'm really good at kind of nailing things and getting things on. And I pace and momentum, I am good at. Um, I'm also good at multitasking, which I know is a mm. bad thing. And all the people say <laughs> multitasking isn't good for you. And if you think you're a multi- good multitasker, it's a fallacy. Um, I am um, as good as you can be at multitasking, given that kind of stuff. I am quite good at managing multiple things. So uh, a training course in a day, writing a book, doing a proposal. I can do all of that in a yeah. day and keep those things up in the air. Like, I've, you know, for the last five years, I've managed a full-time job with a growing side business. So pace um, uh, and uh, kind of being able to have some multiple spinning plates. And yeah. that. Um, what I'm not good at in terms of productivity is sticking to a system. Like I'd love to have a system. Um, and I think sometimes my, my pace 
and ability to manage things gets me out of that sometimes because I I don't drop balls because I'm good at that stuff. But really, I would love to have a system like, okay, the night before you plan tomorrow, you write your to-do list, you prioritise things, um, maybe you go through your to-do list to pick the things you're going to do that day. I'd love to have a system. I think that would help me. Um, and, you know, when you talked about what you're not doing well, the, the prioritising in the context of I love mm, everything I do, yeah, that might help yeah. with. But... I just don't make time for it and I could probably do that better. And a lot of that is about making the space for quality thinking. Mm. And I feel like if you made more of that space, you might have fewer balls. So there are fewer to drop in that sense. Yeah. Do you feel like that's something that would... Yeah. So (laughs) is that that what it comes down to is that you said before about you're struggling, you often struggle with saying no. Mm. And so is a lot of that to do with, I just want to do everything. So I'm just going to just throw myself into all those things rather than that you know slightly more choosy mentality which I definitely think I have I think I'm quite good at Mm. at not starting things that I think are really good ideas because I'm focused on the the few things that I'm doing now yeah I've I've said no to big things this year actually um that I didn't really want to and and so to to bury there would have been their own spinning plate businesses Uh, and I've said no to both of those so I could focus on Amazing If but even within Amazing If there's so many things that I'm doing um yeah it's you know it's just not something I've nailed at the moment but probably Mm. because of a reluctance to turn anything off you know Sarah and I did we planned out our year it was so funny we planned out our year with post-it notes um and we tried to prioritize all of it and we're like okay we've got to do these first five post-it notes first and the other 30 (laughs) can't can't be prioritized and then we we talked to each other about oh what are you doing today and it's something from post-it note number 25 yeah, and yeah, yeah, because yeah. because we're so attracted to it so um yeah i don't i don't want to pick at the moment i'm not having to but i think i could potentially make more of an impact if i did focus on the first five mm. post-it notes and didn't let my time get distracted by that stuff but you know going in some justifying it now sometimes i get some creativity from some of those other things and when i explore it and it's a bit random and um and in doing that I have more energy for some of the big things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And you're very prolific as well. So you're, we'll give the details in a second, but like your Instagram thing, you do like a little video every day. In fact, yeah. not just a little video every day, but on Instagram, there's like, you know, there's like six or seven of those little white tiles yeah. at the top where, you know, you're sort of giving tips on a daily basis and all yeah. this kind of stuff. So like you are putting out a lot of content into the world. And yes. presumably that is also helping you to, to you know, to figure out what, other courses might look like or other things might look like and yeah I do so yeah so I do a daily squiggly career tip that I started about five months ago for no particular reason on Instagram <laughs> I just started doing it I thought I'd start doing this and then um it both got a bit of a following and I also quite like doing it and it's a way of me intentionally staying curious so mm. knowing that I've got to do five tips every week means that I then read and explore thoughts and connect ideas more than I would do without it I think Um, so I quite like that I don't know how long I'm going to keep it going for but I now put it on LinkedIn and I'm also talking to an agency about maybe making it look a little bit more professional for some places because it is just me in my house holding my phone chatting about it and putting some text over the top of it but there's something in the rawness of that that appeals in certain places and do you record those every day or do you record them like once a week and then put them out so you actually record it every morning every morning I record it which means sometimes it's done in a hotel before I do a course sometimes it's done with my children screaming next door (laughs) so yeah but I think again there's something in the rawness of it like I'm not trying to portray myself as some super slick career guru Um, I am somebody who is passionate about making work better for everyone including myself and I'm learning all the time and I want to share that with people cool Um, so speaking of which where can people connect with you so let's start with Instagram and then you (laughs) can talk about um, some of the other Um, so Instagram we are at amazing if on Instagram so that's where you get the daily squiggly career tip and then a bit of a picture of what Sarah and I's life generally looks like there Um, also on LinkedIn I'm Helen Tupper at LinkedIn you can follow there on Twitter we're at amazing underscore if we typically use that for sharing more articles and things that we're reading um, and then the website so any of the we've got the Squiggly Career podcast that goes out weekly and the website we've got articles information about all of our courses um, more about us uh, and that's just www.amazingif.com cool and then you've also got the new work website yes as well. the new work which yeah. is uh, the newwork.co.uk you can get um, we did a report for each of the events that we did last year so those three themes that I mentioned if you go onto the website and look under news you can download the report for each of them which has all of the accelerators that we identified from the events 
Cool. Well, it's been great hanging out in this lovely space at the Hoxton Hotel that we blagged. Um, so, yeah, thanks for spending some time. Thank you very much for having me. So thanks again to Helen for being on the show. Thanks also again to the Altitude Retreat for sponsoring this podcast. That's A-L-P-T-I-T-U dot D-E if you want to go and find out more about Altitude. And just a mention of those dates again. So the Work Fuel events are going to be in Manchester on the 12th of April and then in London on the 24th of April. Um, and details of that at getbeyondbusy.com along with show notes, links to previous episodes, all the usual stuff. And before I go, I just want to say a huge thank you to the early adopters and readers of Work For You, the book. So I had some really nice uh, Twitter messages, DMs, all that sort of stuff from people who've read the book. Uh, one person said, what a book, it's changed my life already in a week, uh, but it's also changed my bowels. <laughs> so a um, little word of warning there, uh, when you start to eat the rainbow and get into lots of plant-based food, if you're not used to it, then uh, it's a whole shock to the system, but that's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, some really great messages coming in from people who have just been impacted by the book in its first couple of weeks of release. Seems to have gone really well. Like we had a really nice period sort of trending in the kind of one to 2000 range on Amazon, which is pretty high. And um, yeah, like found it in Foils bookshop on uh, the South Bank as well. It seems to be uh, getting the distribution uh, around the UK as well. So um, really looking forward to sharing that with more of you at those events. And as it comes out around the world, I think it's out in Australia in April. I think the US is April, May and um, yeah, around the world as well. So and, and also just on um, Amazon Kindle, if you're in a country that you can't get to uh, the kind of bookshop that's going to have a copy of work for you. So yeah, let us know what you think. If you want to drop me a line, it's graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. We're uh, just putting together at the moment, actually, a whole series of stuff on a new website, which is workfuel.ninja, where we're going to start um, detailing our kind of corporate offering around this stuff as well. So if you've got a team that you would like us to come in and talk to about nutrition and energy and how to eat for better productivity, then um, drop us a line. It's um, workfuel.ninja is the website where you can find out a bit more, but you can just email me, just graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. I've um, got a couple of really cool guests that are lined up, which I don't like to say who they are because um, what if it gets cancelled and then and then people get disappointed? So I'm just going to tease that one a little bit. There's a couple of really cool guests coming down the track. And also I'm off on my hole. So um, as you listen to this, I'm probably uh, just landing in Canada for a good a little baseball stint for a few days. Uh, really looking forward to my kind of baseball break because uh, it's been a while uh, since I've really switched off and put the out of office on the email and all that sort of stuff. So looking forward to all of that. Have a good break. Uh, so I'll see you in two weeks time with another episode. Until then, take care. Bye for now. This podcast is produced by Podient. To find out more, visit podiantproductions.com.